Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word, the time we get to spend in it, to read it, uh, to be changed by it. As Aaron prayed, that we would, you would speak to us directly. And as we go over some of the things that Paul lays out for us uh, to understand about our condition before Christ and who he wants to make us into, help us to really grab that and understand that and let you do that work in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple announcements while we're getting here. Uh, uh, excited. The McBrides worked on getting uh, the Jesus Revolution here in Maryville, and it's going to be here now. They're going to show it at the hangar. So that's exciting. February 24th um, is when we plan on having it. There will be more details to come, but that'll be coming. So that's exciting. I have to go to St. Joe to go see it. Um, we'll probably play a trailer of that uh, Sunday morning so everybody can kind of understand what it's about. But it's our history So as a Calvary. So pretty cool. Um, and then also we asked for, if anybody's interested in being on the security team, um, we need a couple folks that can handle Wednesday night and we'll do training and all that and all. Um, it's just getting to be a lot and it's the same folks over and over and over and over again. Um, and that is an armed position. So um, if you're not comfortable with that, that's fine. We do have other options for greeters. We need greeters as well, which is a whole different uh, uh, animal there. So um, we need greeters also. So if you're interested in those two things, you can talk to John uh, McBride about security. If you're interested in greeting, just come and talk to me about it. Be glad to hook you up with some information on that. Greeters are basically, I mean, you want to be a smile and a handshake and all that, but you kind of need to know where to send people, how the thing works, why there's a break, that there's a children's ministry, who goes, who doesn't, when they go, sign-ins, all that kind of stuff. Just a good, like a walking informational booth, you know, for people. Um, and so that's what we need for greeters. Security, you just sit back and look suspiciously at everybody like this and make them feel uncomfortable. And that's, I'm kidding. Uh, um, in fact, um, the, the police department and, and first responders request that we do that. So it's not something that we just do, and it's, 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 it's not... Um, uh, what do you call it? It's not paranoia. It's, it's something that they ask and they think it's a good idea for us. So, um, and of course we want to, we want to be partners with them. So anyway, that's where we are. Let us know if you want to be part of that ministry. Um, Ephesians chapter two, Paul basically in this chapter gives us a before and after view as he writes to the Ephesians, trying to explain to them, um, who they were when Christ came and who they're supposed to become. There's some, obviously, some misunderstandings. And so Paul's trying to make it very clear. This is one of the most doctrinally rich um, books. Um, and so as we go through this, it's going to take a little bit of time. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to give you the, like, like I read a lot of commentaries on this, and it, they go deep, deep, deep. And, and I'll go deep in some areas, but for some of it, We'll just have to hit another time because we only have a we only have a short amount of time tonight. So, um, but he does want to make it clear. He wants the Ephesians to understand, and so we want to understand. Um, you've seen before and after shots in ads, right? Whether that's for some kind of diet program or some kind of bulking muscle, you know, protein powder that you can drink or whatever. And this catch our eye because it shows us who, who you were and who we all feel like. And then it shows, you know, what you're going to be, you know. And nobody ever looks at those pictures and, and says, well, that person has a lot of discipline and drive. They just want to know the product, right? And that's okay for tonight's purposes, because as I was the condition that I was in, an unbeliever, like most of my classmates in high school would say, he got saved? to who I am today, and as they experience me and talk to me now after Christ, they're definitely not looking at J.D.'s willpower and discipline. They're saying, who did this to him? 
is the idea. And so a lot of people get saved by that before and after picture in your life. We're embarrassed about it, nor should we take glory in our sin or our past. We don't want to, you know, well, boy, when I was a kid, I used to be this and all that. It's important, though, to let those things still be public so they can see where you've come from, to see where you've been brought to, and then you can let them know who did that for you. And it's through Jesus Christ. He conforms us into his image, and that's what's taking place. So Paul tries to make that uh, interesting little uh, uh, example or that, that, that idea of a changed life very clear here in chapter 2. It begins in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also uh, we all once conducted ourselves in uh, the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And that's our first break. Paul says, you were made alive from a dead condition. Well, this... Uh, brings us to a very controversial subject, and, and it doesn't need to be, I don't think. I think it's very clear, but there, there's a certain aspect of Christianity that believes you're, you're so dead you couldn't do anything like dead dead, like casket dead, um, and therefore you had no participation whatsoever in the salvation of your soul, okay? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, there's conditions of deadness, Okay, there's spiritually dead, there's physical death, there's emotional death, there's all these deaths, and he describes them. Second uh, Corinthians two, four through three, or four, three through four. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds. So therefore they're alive, they just can't see it. Okay, so they're not dead dead. Um, another one is Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed the heart that from the, of a doctrine which was delivered to you, and therefore you were dead in your sins. You, you were focused on another uh, goal other than God's goal. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Uh, for everyone uh, that does evil hates light, and nor do they come to the light, lest his deeds should be uh, reproved. And so that's just a matter of a lover of darkness. That, that's considered death as far as God's concerned. Um, uh, sickness, you're, you're sick. You've got a malady, basically. Um, let's see, Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And so there he describes our condition as just a, 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 like a cancer or some sort of disease. You're not dead, dead. He just needs to cure us of that. You get the point. There's a couple others. Luke chapter 15, verses 1, and it goes on through 32. But that's, that's more along the lines of you were a stranger, you were a foreigner, you were, you were, a, you were lost, you were distant, you know, from God. And God brought you near, you're the lost lamb who got brought, you know. Um, and then an alien, stranger, and foreigner, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, you're a child of wrath here uh, versus a child of God. Um, so you're alive, you've you're got wrath coming to you, you're not in the grave, um, physically dead, you're, you're spiritually dead. And of course, that's what happened. When, when God 
had the tree of life and the, you know, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, both in the garden. He told them, I, I don't want you to eat of this one of the, uh, the, the one of knowledge of good and evil because you'll die if you eat that. And of course, Satan's argument was, you'll surely not die. Well, they're, they're playing on words there. God was saying, you're going to have a spiritual death. You're not going to be able to fellowship with me. You're not going to be uh, focused on me, paying attention to me. You're going to be sick. You're, all those things we just described are going to happen to you. And what Satan meant was, you're not going to physically die. You know, um, in the Bible, it talks about a first death. That's our physical death. And then it talks about a second death. That second death is still death, but you're, it's, a, it's an eternal death. It's an eternal place of fire. Um, so you understand what I'm saying there? But death isn't the end. It isn't the, it isn't the you're, not, you're not non-existent anymore. You're existing. You're just existing in Satan's realm and not in God's realm. And so when he says this, you were made alive. It doesn't mean that you were dead because, well, first of all, dead men can't sin. Okay. So if I need a savior, if I'm, you know, if that's what they're talking about, I absolutely have no control over myself whatsoever. A dead person, if that's the tense that he's using here, you can't sin either. It goes both ways. You can't have it one way for good and another way for evil. I don't know if you're, if I'm making myself clear, but um, when he says he made you alive, he resurrected that spiritual relationship with God with you. You were alive in the spirit. You're a new creation. And we'll talk more about that. And he'll go into more detail about that. But um, we were created in God's image. And I think I botched this the last time I tried to do this. I couldn't get it out. But um, God is, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we've done this before. Many of you know where I'm going to go with this. You can tune out if you want. Um, but if you've never seen this, it helps. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were made in his image, body, soul, and spirit. And it's on that spirit, Holy Spirit and our spirit, that we had that fellowship. And they had that fellowship in the garden. The warning was, if you eat that knowledge of good and evil, that spirit's going to die on you. Now, the other two are alive and well. They're doing their thing. They just have no connection to God anymore. And that's why God says, Adam, where are you? Well, we're hiding, you know. So there's that. To be born again is for God to resurrect that spirit so you can have that fellowship with God again. That's the difference. Okay, you get the picture? So that's the alive he made. I made you alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Trespasses and sins are interesting. What are they? Um, <laughs> a trespass is knowing where the boundary is and going across it anyway. That's rebellion. Sin is the term they used to use for when they'd shoot arrows and they'd miss the dead center. You sin. You miss the mark. That's just failure. Okay. There's a difference between the two. Nevertheless, God paid the price for both of those. Not only your Rebellion against God, uh, your trespassing. I know where the boundary is. I'm going across it anyway. He also died for our sins. When we fail, we miss the mark. I intended to be righteous. I intended to be the person God wanted me to be, but I failed. God covers that. That's sin. I knew where the line was. I crossed it anyway. I wish I hadn't. God covers that also. That's transgression. He says, you were made alive from the death that you had and trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, the word walk there is meandered, just wandering around aimlessly, you know, there's participation there. You walked, you were meandering in your trespasses, in your sins. It's a pretty alive person there as far as physical beings go. 
you did this willingly and you followed the course of this world. You just walked in the, in the, in the way, you know, that's, that's the example we have, you know, you're, you're going to go the opposite direction. You're going to be a fish swimming upstream in this world. The world is going in a direction. Most are going to hell. Most are going downstream. They're headed right for the falls. That's their intent. They're just walking that way. And for the most, most of our lives, we did the same thing. We swam right with them because that's the way everybody's going. And that's a struggle for every Christian is when we turn around and we go the opposite direction, we're swimming against the flow. You're going against the flow of traffic, of people. Ever have that? Forget something in your car. You're going into a big event. Oh, I hate that, you know? And everybody's trying to get through the doors and give their tickets. Excuse me. Yeah, pardon me. I'm sorry. You know, and you're trying to get your way through. And that's why it feels like the progress is so slow for us as Christians, is you're going against the flow of this world. We should expect some effort from difficulty, some, some, some hardship, some sweat maybe sometimes, some determination. You know, it would be a lot easier just to turn around and just, you know, float and go with it all. Let them carry you down all the way over the falls, but we don't want to go there. God saved us, and so we've turned around and we're going in the opposite direction. We once walked past tents according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan. Now, he's not going to rule and reign down here forever, but because most of the world has given control of their lives over to him and are walking in wickedness and walking in this direction, he is the God of this age right now. It won't always be that way, but for now he is. We uh, tried to support um, Jeremy Higgins up in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He's got a Calvary up there and he read that book that we have out in our bookstore now, um, Jesus and Gender. He read it at the public library. You imagine how that went over like a lead balloon. But it, there, he had a lot of support. But then people that didn't want him to read that book publicly, you know, began to hit up his website and everything for the church and gave a lot of negative reviews. And so I said, yeah, you know. And I posted on our website, hey, come on, you guys, Calvary, go give him some good reviews. You know, let's, let's boost him. Let's get some five stars to push those one stars down to the bottom for him and all that. Well, we got a message today. Says you're next. Ooh, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> whatever. Um, so anybody wants to be part of security, we could. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're 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 cowards. They go behind the keyboard. So they'll they'll hit us there, which they've done in the past. That's fine. Um, we just block them and move on. But that's the idea. When you go against the flow of the world, well, now you're a target, and now you now you're obvious and now you're irritating to them you know satan doesn't mind when you're flowing with him uh, that's not an issue for him he doesn't he doesn't have to make you a pedophile he doesn't have to make you a murderer to get you to go to hell that isn't his goal i think that's what a lot of people think well i'm not a murderer okay uh, no you can just be um just apathetic towards any relationship with god at all you know I, I, meet, I meet men who are well-mannered and are maybe even well-respected in communities around here, regardless of their occupation, maybe a farmer, maybe a, a factory CEO or a factory worker or something like that. And they're, they're good workers, they're good people, they provide, they do what they're supposed to do, but they care less about God. They don't even know if they believe in him. That's fine with Satan. He doesn't need to make them wicked and evil. Like we call wicked and evil, he just needs them to not want to have a relationship with God and let their sins rest upon their heads. 
That's what he's hoping for. Just that, that's fine. Mild-mannered. What he doesn't want is born-again believers. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I think the church, not ours necessarily, but maybe the, the church worldwide is full of people that are just chair sitters or pew sitters. They've never been born again. They just attend or they just, well, this is what you do. This is what a good Christian does. And, uh, and, and their idea is I go to church, I read my Bible, I tell everybody I'm a Christian, but worship, I mean, worship to God, mm. they're just indifferent to this relationship with God. That's enough for Satan. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. Jesus said that. That's not me. That's not Calvary. That's, that's John 3. You have to be born again. You have to be madly in love. You have to be so uncomfortable in the coffin that you get up out of it. Can you imagine? I've been to a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of dead people. Okay? I've done a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of dead people. Open caskets and all. My parents, your parents, family members, whatever. I know it's hard, but... They're fine. They're content. Now, you put me in one of those caskets, alive, you're going to see some scratching and some clawing to get out of that thing. You understand? I don't want to be in a coffin. That's not comfortable for me. They they offer money for that, you know. Can you spend the night in a coffin in in a morgue? No, I can't, you know. (laughs) With my luck, they'd slam it shut and, you know, you know, guys, As a born-again believer, you can't get out of the coffin fast enough. Satan has kept us in coffins our whole lives. And we've been fine with it because we didn't know any better. We've been dead. But you wake up alive to Jesus Christ, you can't get out of there fast enough. I'm concerned with Christians that are comfortable laying in the coffin. And it doesn't bother them that they're laying in this world, soaking it in, being a part of it. Okay? That's That's concerning. Paul says, you once did this. You followed the course. You were a part of the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, that's who this prince is. He works through them. Among whom also we we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We used to be those, but we're not anymore. What he's trying to tell the Ephesians. You were those things, but you're not those things anymore. You've moved from being, having Satan be your father, children of Satan, children of wrath, versus being children of God. Not, God is our creator, and so therefore, I guess, all people are children, but the Bible never states that. We're adopted into the family of God. We're brought in. We start off with being children of wrath, alienated from God, separated him from, from our sin. It's up to him to bring us out and adopt us into his family. Then we're children of God. Then we walk according to the dictates of his heart, not our heart. But until that takes place, we're children of wrath. And so Paul's just trying to remind them of that. You were that, but now you're not. And that's why verse 4 begins like it does. But God... That's who you were. That's the before picture. But God stepped in, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, remember that, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop there. There's a lot. We could go all the way through to verse 10, but that's a lot right there. God stepped in. We didn't necessarily know our condition that we were in, and most people don't, you know. Not until you get the diagnosis, not until you get shown the x-ray, not until you actually see the results, and they compare. This is what a normal person is, and this is where you are. Oh, and you realize. This is who Christ is. This is the standard for heaven. Nobody gets in unless you're just like him. And this is where you stand. Oh, but God. Okay. Last week, we spent a lot of time over here on this part of the stage talking about being in Christ, if you remember that. We're in Christ. Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father as if, and since we're in him, we're there with him. Okay. I can be assured of me sitting with the Father someday, ruling and reigning with Jesus, as weird as that sounds, that's what the Bible teaches, because Christ is already there and I'm hidden in him. I haven't been redeemed yet. I haven't picked up. But because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, so am I. I don't have to worry about my salvation is what we're trying to get at. Sometimes I think when I'm done teaching, I feel bad. I'm like, I think I made everybody wonder if they're saved or not. That's not my intent. Salvation isn't an issue if you're in Christ. Like, I can't say that enough. If you're in Christ, I, I don't want to know your sin. I don't know what, want to know what you're thinking or what you did today or yesterday or what you're going to do tomorrow. I don't, I don't want to know any of that. If you have placed yourself and trusted in Christ and what he did on the cross, then you're saved. That's it. He talks about something different here, though. And sometimes we get confused about, and this is where our doctrine gets messed up, because we, we, we make a, a, com, a, not a comparison, a, we, um, transliteration, I don't even know, of words in our mind that aren't in the Scripture. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Well, I know but he just said he loved us when we were dead in our sins still. So we're still children of wrath. He just loved us with all of his heart, mind. So I have no desire. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked still loves us, but it doesn't mean justice won't be served. We confuse love with salvation. It's not the same thing. They're not interchangeable words. Just because God loved me doesn't mean I'm saved. It just means he loved me. He loves sinners that are not saved and he loves those who are his. He loves both. He loves creation. He loves everything. It was all good. He hates the sin in my life, which is causing wrath to come. He still loves the person. We have to remember that too when we're ministering. The reason you're ministering is not because God hates that enemy and wants you to get him saved so he can start liking them again. No, he already loves them. He just wants to spend forever with them and they need to receive that forgiveness from him that he's offered to them. It's a gift. And so he says, let's go over this again. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. It's before salvation. His great mercy and love was for us beforehand. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. Have you been raised? It's a hard question to answer. You know the right answer is, yes, I have. But you know that you're not in heaven right now, so it's hard to say because an honest person would say, well, no, I'm not in heaven. I'm not sitting at the right hand of the Father. I think that's the right answer. But when God looks at us because Christ is already raised, it's such a sure thing. It's not even an option that you won't be raised because you're in Christ is the idea. So I'm trying to leave this not with, I wonder if I'm saved or not, to I absolutely know that my salvation is secure tonight. 
I want you to know that. Because that's what Paul's trying to get across to the Ephesians. You've been raised, he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's a very bold statement to make to Ephesians sitting on the ground with their enemies all around them, still in their flesh and got problems, you know. We need to know that and get that in our heads and understand that in our hearts. My salvation, and it, it, it is a forever battle for us, is not dependent on how good of a person I was today. I have positioned myself in Christ because that's the gift he offered me and that's the gift I accepted so that I don't have to worry about my salvation anymore. Now, I do want to perform. I do want to be a good boy in God's kingdom, a good son. I'm a son no matter what now but I want to be a good son. And so from this understanding of my secure salvation, he loved me and showed all this to me before I was even his friend. I respond. Again, we talked about that on Sunday. We're the responders to this. doesn't mean I don't want to do the right thing. Now I do more than ever. And I think that's the only way to holiness. I've talked about that many times. Understanding God's love and our position in Christ Jesus is our pathway to holiness in our life now. I don't think I can stop sinning if I don't understand this or if I try to find another way. If it's just my can-do attitude and my picking my up, you know, from my bootstraps and, you know, it doesn't last. And I know it won't. But if I position myself in Christ and understand what Paul's trying to say here, I'm secure. And once that pressure's off, now obedience is really much easier. I don't want to say easy, much easier. So I'm not talking about my salvation in any given moment. I'm talking about um, my identity. Do I look like a Christian? Do I look like a follower of Christ? He's lifted us up, raised us up together. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. So one day when we're there, and we've, been, we've already been seen by John, which is weird. John the Apostle, who wrote the book of Revelations, saw us the saints, the church, singing praise songs to God. And when John saw that, you were there already. I don't know how that works because he's outside of time and space. So everybody that was ever going to be saved is already there. He's looking at the multitudes singing songs. You know, Mick's there, Carolyn's there, I'm there. Maybe. <laughs> I'm kidding. Saw us there. Well, When we're there, I mean, we're all going to be going, I can't believe they made it, you know, kind of thing. But remember, there's probably two people on either side of you going, I can't believe they made it. We're trophies of grace. Understand that. I mean, you could put me in a display cabinet, one of those, one of those acrylic cabinets, you know, like you do with, well, for those who worship football. Um, <laughs> I'm just picking on anybody. <laughs> Put this acrylic. You're in God's acrylic case up there. And they're walking by saying, man, he's got a lot of grace. Oh, I know that dude. He was horrible. God's got a lot of grace. And they're going to go through. We are trophies of God's grace. No one's going to say, they are amazing people. It's a good thing God got them. I don't like that. I understand people are in grief. Oh, it takes everything within me to say so, not say something. And I don't because I know that's not appropriate or polite. So let me say it now. God doesn't gain anything. 
Like, oh, God gained an angel today. No, he gained a trophy. And everybody's going to point to that trophy and say, man, that was well-deserved, God. You did it to do a hard work in that one to get them here. And I don't care who they are. I don't, think, I don't care if it's great-grandma who was just the most beautiful person you ever knew. She needed the grace of God to get to heaven because she was a sinner saved by grace. And that's what we have to get rid of this myth that's in this world, that there are some people that are just naturally good people and there are some people that need Jesus. Jesus takes the naturally good people. They didn't really need much work, but God really needed to save him or her. That's the person, you know. No, no, everybody's a trophy of grace when we get to heaven. Now, he considers us his inheritance. He is proud to have us up there. He is in love with us so much so that he's not going to put us in an acrylic case, nor is he going to let anybody point to anybody. That's all just a, a picture for tonight. He will wrap you in his arms and be so proud. My son was dead and now he's alive. Get, kill the fatted calf. Put on the purple robe. Give him the ring. And let's, have, let's celebrate. You know, that's what you'll receive. But we have to be careful about this. Some were saved harder than others. That's not true. We are trophies of his grace. That he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's a kind thing for him to do. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Some people struggle with this. They think that the very fact that we have to receive the gift to be saved is an act of work, is a work act. And that's very debatable. I don't think anybody, Paul's trying to make a picture here, a very simple picture. We complicate it. But on Christmas, when you receive a gift from somebody wrapped and bowed with your name on it from me to you, you reaching up and taking it from them is not an act of work. You can't say, I earned this. You see all that action with my arms? No, 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 no. I mean, no one in their right mind would say that. I don't know why we would do that here, but we do, and they make arguments about it, and I think it's a waste of time. If that's not enough, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says that God has given to each person a measure of faith. Everybody has that measure of faith that they can use or not use. Similar to Matthew 25, 30, which is the parable of the talents. You've been given a talent. Did you bury it? Or did you use it and receive the gift? Very simple. Paul's just trying to make a very simple point. For by grace you've been saved. It's not from works. God blessed you. You, did, you didn't have the rightful place. That's what the disciples were always arguing about behind Jesus' back. I'm the greatest. You're the greatest. Who's doing the most for God? Who's, who's the closest to Jesus? And there's this competition between them all. And that was never meant to be. You were always saved on an even level, on an evil play, uh, even playing field. You've been saved by grace. And so he's trying to tell the Ephesians this because he's going to move into Judaism versus Gentilism. We're all saved equally, as much as each other, through faith. And that not of yourselves. Now the word that is salvation. It's not faith. The Greek's very clear on that. And that's for those who struggle with these things. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, he's not referring to faith, he's referring to salvation, not of yourselves. 
it is again referring to salvation, not faith, is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've got a couple slides if Aaron's ready for those. Sorry, can you put the first one up? I don't know if you separate them or not. That's a very small portion of the genome that they're doing right now. Very small portion. It's enormous. So they take your DNA and they spread it all out and they try to give it. And that's what it looks like. Now, that is, let's take, for example, someone who's studying the Bible. Okay. And we're learning it and we're, we're getting it. And, and this page is added to another page and another page. And pretty soon we're at a really thick volume of God's, you know, plan. That's not the purpose of studying the Bible, nor is that God's intent for us so that we can have this nice big volume. Look at me, read me. I'm a big book of letters. And that's what it is. That's, that's the Bible in you without any transformation. Show the next slide. This is what it's supposed to make you into. It's a big difference between reading a volume of that first slide and to what that volume is supposed to do. Who'd rather hold this? Well, I won't ask that. Some of you are like, I hate, I don't, they burp, they spit up. I don't want any of that. They're awesome. And they're so, there's so much more going on. You get the idea. Between biblical data filling us to overflowing to where we're just a book. My purpose is to be a book of numbers and letters. No, your purpose is to be a workmanship, a work of art by God. And reading God's word, this is the program he does to make us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. At the end of my career of studying the Bible, I better not just be a thicker book of Bible data. People need to experience that, me, like Christ, you get the idea. Thank you, Aaron. So important. We are workmanship. You are a work of art. And God is forming you and making you. He says, you're a new creation now that you're a born-again believer. I'm starting fresh. I'm putting my data in you. I'm writing code. I'm turning you into someone who looks just like my son, Jesus. Now, there's a little differences, obviously. Every baby's different, but they've all kind of got the same attributes, Right? God wants us to be his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. The book can't do anything, but that baby's going to grow up and do amazing things, change lives, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's going to be a bunch of stuff for us to do now that you're a creation in Christ. Now that you're a full-fledged child of God, he's got work for you to do. Things, people, events. He doesn't want to put you on a shelf. You're not a notch in his belt. You're an ambassador now, a living, breathing ambassador for Christ, and he's got works for you to do. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made by flesh and hands. In other words, you Gentiles know what I'm talking about. Remember the Jews, how they used to call you just the uncircumcision? Well, I am talking to you. Remember that you were just Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you're without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, there we are in again, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Have you ever thought about that? Is there anybody here that grew up Jewish and has like a Jewish background? Anybody? It's, it's, it'd be great. You'd be a great comparison. It's none of us so far. When I became a believer, I had to learn about Moses. Who's Moses? Who's Abraham? Who's Noah? I kind of know Adam from Sunday school, but barely, and that's just because I was forced. We had to learn all of that stuff. David and Goliath, what are you talking about? That was all brand new to us. If you were Jewish, you had all that stuff. You grew up with the feast. You grew up with the Hanukkah. You grew up with dreidel, 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 or whatever it is, you know, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. You grew up with all that history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you knew it all. Now, when he talks about you Gentiles being afar off, you kind of understand. We started way, way, way back in the pack. The Jews were like, oh, Jesus, step. I mean, I know it wasn't that easy for him, but you get the idea. Gentiles? They're like, okay, we're believers. Yeah. Who's Abraham? We had to go clear back to Genesis and start learning everything because we didn't know any of that stuff. And so Paul's just saying, you Gentiles, you were far off. I don't know how far, but really far. And, and Christ brought you near. He brought you through all of that. You jump to the head of the line, in fact, in some cases. There's some Jewish people behind you kind of thing. He just wants to tell, tell us that. In a, let's see what scripture. Oh, Romans 11 is pretty clear on it. Verses 19 through 24. He's talking to Romans, Paul, again, so Gentiles. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. And he's talking about the, the Israeli um, line of, of, of Jesus, basically. Um, and all the branches off of this vine of Jesus were Jewish. Okay, But they rejected their Messiah. And so those branches were cut off because they rejected they rejected their Messiah. But we as Gentiles were grafted in. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. It's quite a process to graft something into something living and to continue to let it grow and bear fruit. Um, in fact, when we do apple trees or any kind of tree, you'll notice that at the bottom, when you buy a tree, maybe you care, maybe you don't, too bad, you listen. Um, you look at it and there's this knot way down by the soil, above the soil, but way down by the soil. And it's like this weird thing comes off of it. That's because whatever's growing up here was grafted into some really good root stock. That's the idea. So most of your fruit trees are like that. Um, so he says here in Romans, just to explain it, you say that branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, that's a big if, you need to continue with Christ. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. I mean, that's a very clear understanding of what it means to abide in Christ. Okay, when it's a different subject or a different Bible study altogether, but um, you will always be loved, and nothing can separate you from the love of God, but you can cut yourself off if you wanted to. Okay, that's always an option. Grafted. For if you were cut, off, cut out of the olive tree... 
uh, which is, uh, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who their natural branches, will be grafted into their own olive tree? Just making it very clear that the Jews, you know, you're in because of them. You were brought from a far way. We have a lot of process going on here to get you into this branch, to graft you in. It was not natural at all. It was a miracle. It was a mystery of God. Paul calls it, but you're there. You are far off. Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who had made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. In Ephesus, you've got a mix in this church, and maybe they're still divided, and maybe they're still separated. Maybe the Gentiles are sitting on one side of the synagogue and while Paul's teaching or whoever's teaching at church service, and the Jews are sitting on the other side because they don't blend together very well. You know? And Paul's saying, nope, that shouldn't be anymore. Jesus came to kill all that, to, to break down that wall of separation. You're together in Christ. You know? The Jews, we just went through this in Galatians, were trying to come in and say, yes, we want to be in Christ, but you first have to be in us, then you can be in Christ. And so they made this like nesting doll. I don't know if you've ever seen those Russian nesting dolls. That's what they try to do. You need to get in the Jewish tradition first because the Jewish tradition is in the Christ, in, is in Christ. You can't just get in. There ain't room for two different dolls. You got to get in us and then in him. No, no, no. Nope. That's not the case. The Gentiles got saved. The Jews got saved. You didn't have to do one after the other or any kind of way. Paul makes that clear in the book of Acts. We need to be saved like they do. Jews need to be saved like Gentiles. Gentiles get saved. Jews get saved. But we get saved together in Christ. He's broken down that. I'm trying to build one body. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. It's saved and unsaved in this world. Now, those are the only, that's the only division in this world right now. Saved and unsaved. We can differ about a whole bunch of different things. Politics, whatever. Um, but there's only two, def- two kinds of people, saved and unsaved. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Galatians three twenty eight. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Colossians three eleven. same thing. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Makes it very clear um, that we're all together in this and saved by the same person and the same act of the cross. He's abolished in his flesh, the enmity, and so on. Um, Verse 16 and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, both Jews and Gentiles. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father, which we just read. Now, therefore, here's the conclusion of the matter of chapter two. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Where's the church? We're the church. 
It's not a building. It's not a location. It's not a place. The body of Christ, you people, we're the church. And we're all being fit together. There's no difference anymore between a Jew and a Gentile, between a man and a woman. We're all just stones in this one big temple, and God dwells in it. He lives there. Paul's trying to bring them together. I hope we listen too. Not that we're separated, but just to understand that. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He dwells in us now, in the body universally, but also in us individually. And he makes his home with us. Um, That's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this um, encouragement from Paul. It's a lot. I mean, for a Wednesday night. But um, we know that you, by your Holy Spirit, used Paul to explain the Ephesians and to us. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Gentiles wouldn't know. They don't have a lot of background. And and, uh, the Jews need to understand that um, things are different and changed now that these adopted Gentiles into the family of God are just as much sons and daughters as they are. Um, and that would be difficult for them. Lord, help us to know that about ourselves, to be humble, uh, to be thankful, to live our lives as lives bent on gratitude towards you for what you've done for us. Their salvation is secure and help us to know that. Despite what Satan whispers, despite what he tries to tell us or has to di- ha- tries to divide us, help us to know that, that he's a liar and the father of lies. And we're no longer children of wrath. We're, we're your children. Help us to, to walk that way with you now. And that confidence, but with humility towards other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.